This feels nice to be comfortable in comfortable clothes for once up here. This is, uh, I could get used to this. <laughs> hey, good morning, everyone. Hope you had a good Saturday, good college football kickoff weekend. So, <laughs> my guys don't play till tonight, so I'm still a little bit on edge. We could lose to Houston, and that would be a disaster. So, uh, so we've all been there, right? We've, we're watching this post-game pre- press conference, and a quarterback strides up to the podium, and the, the reporters say, you know, Mr. Mr. Brady, after being down 25 points, what did you think? And, and I don't know if this really happened, but we can imagine, right? And he says, you know, we, we in the team just never gave up faith. We knew, we had faith that we could come back and win this game anyway. Uh, or, or perhaps somebody's been in kind of a, a difficult, horrific car accident, right? And, and as they're recovering afterwards, somebody's asking them about it. They're saying, what happened? And they say, you know, I just never gave up faith that I would be all right through the whole thing. Or we look at our bank account and we go, I'm going to really need some faith to make it to the next paycheck, right? <laughs> or, or ramen, perhaps. So, so we've got these ideas of faith, and the word faith is tossed around in our vernacular in so many different ways, and, and we use this word faith, but the question, I think, is do we really understand what we're talking about when we use the word faith? Or has it just become this word that we just use over and over again? And so we're going to be doing this series on faith, and I was thinking about this, and I thought, what do we mean when we say faith? And, and I started kind of investigating and thinking about it, and let me tell you, it's a lot more challenging than I thought it should be at first. At first I thought, this will be easy, we can do one week on faith, everybody will understand and we'll move on. But unfortunately, I don't think that's the case. I think faith is a lot more complicated than we want to believe a lot of times. And so, let me say at the outset, I anticipate that I will be challenged in this, and I anticipate most of us will be, and so my apologies for that. I, I, sometimes I'll say, I hope I didn't step on any toes in an elder meeting, and one of the elders in particular will say, step on our toes, we need it. And so, uh, you know, blame those guys. They're my boss and <laughs> collective boss and someone. <laughs> so those guys told me to do it. And so if I don't get to your toes today, I, I'll, I'll work on that the rest of this series. But, uh, but my hope is we are challenging these ideas because a lot of times we take these simple ideas and then when those ideas are challenged, then we just fall apart, right? And so to me, we ought to be challenging one another's ideas of what it means to be followers of Jesus. What does it mean to have faith in this difficult, challenging world? And so, so in this series, we're going to be talking about faith, and we're going to be taking a hard look, and, we're, and, and our goal is to align ourselves with the biblical idea of faith, not with some uh, folk tradition idea that we have of faith. And so I was thinking about this, and I was thinking there are different types of faith that I see in our world, different types of faith that I see played out. The first I was thinking about is this idea of karma faith. So it's basically the idea, if I do the right thing, and if I do the right things, then the universe will reward me. The, the scales will balance themselves, and all will be right. So basically, the things I put into this system will come out of this system. And Rob and I always joke about this person she used to work with, who whenever she would find this front row parking spot, she would always say, well, I must be living right. <laughs> and, and I think we, we've all seen this kind of karma faith out in the world, right? And so it's this idea, if something good happens to us, well... I must have earned that, right? And so if I keep being good enough, eventually the universe, the karma of all things will reward me and it'll get back around to me. Watch those toes. Perhaps perhaps some of you read this book. This is called The Secret, and, and some of us have what I call the secret faith. And basically, the secret says this, you are the master of the universe. You are the heir to the kingdom. You are the perfection of life. 
And Oprah Winfrey loves this book, so you know everything must be true in it, right? <laughs> so, I mean, she's on TV. They don't put wrong things on TV, right? So this, this book, The Secret, kind of took the world by storm, and, and tons of copies have been sold. And basically, the whole idea within The Secret is if you name something, if you believe it hard enough, it will happen in your world. And so for a billionaire like Oprah, that seems to be a little uh, obvious, right? So when you have billions of dollars, those things tend to happen for you. But for the rest of us, the question is, is that true? Is that really the way we ought to live? So, so some people live according to this, the secret type of faith. And how about this one? Oh, it's getting real now. So... <laughs> I call this the Jabez faith, and so I, I remember when I was in high school, and, and I was really close to my youth minister, and he told us all, we should read this Prayer of Jabez book, and we should work it through together, and I, I remember rebelling against that, and it's not because I was a theologian at the time, it's because I'm naturally rebellious, so I, I pushed against it, uh, but, but the more I've kind of investigated, the more I've thought about this book, the, the whole idea is that uh, you pray this prayer that Jabez prayed, God, that you would bless me and expand my borders. And, and God wants to do that for everyone. And basically the book is saying, if you pray the right words, then God will respond, right? And, and, and maybe that's a caricature of the book. Maybe you have a defense of it. That's fine. I'm not too wrapped up in this. But, but there is that kind of thinking, right? If we pray the right words, God will have to respond to us. Or how about fear faith? If I do the wrong thing, I'm in big trouble. And, and I put the mark of the beast on here. I, so on Facebook, really regularly, we have a lot of Facebook theologians, right? And I haven't seen anybody in here do this, so I'm not throwing stones at anyone here. If you have, please don't take personal offense. But I've seen this on Facebook over and over again, and there's this idea that, oh, everybody is getting microchipped or they're getting tattooed, and if you do, that's the mark of the beast, and you will go straight to hell if you get that thing. Oh, we got can we fix the output up there? So, so turn with me to Revelation. I want to confront this one really quick. Revelation chapter 13. I've got veggie tails on my TV back here. I don't know if you guys see that. As soon as I speak against the mark of the beast, that comes up. Is there... <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> Good luck with that. All right, so... <laughs> uh, Revelation chapter 13. <laughs> so really regularly I'll see this kind of shared and it'll kind of go... There we go. John Hickey, MVP. Regularly this will get shared. And, and so there's this idea that either the government or someone else is microchipping or if you get this tattoo then that is the mark of the beast and you will be destined for eternal hellfire if you get this thing, okay? So, so bear with me here. Revelation chapter 13, I'm going to read verse 8, and then I'm going to skip down to 14 through 17. Verse 8 says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Let's skip down to verse 14. Because of the signs it was given to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. 
It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast, or the number of its name. So, what is happening here is we focus in on the mark on the hand or the forehead, but we neglect the whole context of this passage. What is the context of this passage? All inhabitants of the earth are forced to worship the beast. And so as a result of that worship, then they're given that mark on their hand or their forehead. And so the question is not so much, did you get the wrong tattoo? The question is not, do you want a visa implanted into your hand? That's not really the issue here. That is, that is about worshiping the beast. And so to me, this ought to give us more pause about the kind of compromises we will make in the name of economics than it is about what we put on our hand or our forehead. And so this I call the fear faith, and, and this goes around a lot of ways, and it's basically that there is a thing you could do that could disqualify you from God's grace, and I want to let you know a little spoiler, you've already done that, <laughs> and Jesus already overcame that, and his grace has already overcome that. So the things that you do, they're not as big of a deal as what you worship. The whole point is this was an intentional decision to worship the beast, and so if you're not making an intentional decision to worship the beast, a mark on your hand or your forehead doesn't mean anything. That's, that's what we're going to get to here. So, there's fear faith, there's the secret faith, there's Jabez faith. So, what is faith after all? Let's go to a passage that we misread a lot of times as well. Mark chapter 11. Twenty-two through twenty-five here. Jesus has cursed the fig tree. The fig tree is withered, and they're coming back into the city. And Jesus says, "Have faith in God." Jesus answered, "Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, 'Go throw yourself into the sea,' and do not doubt in your heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them." so your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So what happens a lot of times is that we like to take passages of Scripture in isolation, and we like to read them by themselves and say, well, Jesus says here, whatever I pray for in his name, he will give me. So I can very well say to this mountain, throw yourself into the sea, and the mountain will have to do it. And the question is, is that really the teaching of Scripture? To understand Scripture, we have an obligation to, under, to read all of Scripture. And so if we're trying to understand a passage and it doesn't quite make sense, if it doesn't jive with a lot of what the, th- the other things that we believe, we have to go to the whole context of Scripture. So if we believe we can say the right words to a mountain and it will throw itself into the sea, what is it we actually believe in? Turn with me to Acts. I promise we're not going to keep doing this Bible drill all day. Acts chapter 19. So the message is spreading, the message is getting huge, and and tons of people are believing, and in fact, all these miraculous things are happening. Starting in verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Sounds legitimate, right? Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, 
and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Naked and bleeding. (laughs) When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they have done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. So what do all these things have to do with one another? So Jesus says, believe whatever you're praying and a mountain will throw itself into the sea. But on the other hand, we've got these guys that really truly believe and they're trying to cast out demons. They're using Jesus' names and the demons just beat them up. So what is the difference? I want to argue that oftentimes the, the idea that we have of faith is actually the same as the idea of magic. And that a lot of times our faith is not founded in Jesus and his goodness, but it is founded in these magical things we can do and say. This guy C.E. Arnold says this, Magic was based on the belief that supernatural powers could be harnessed and used by appropriating the correct technique with guaranteed results. Magicians would not seek the will of the deity in a matter, but they would invoke the deity to do precisely as they stated So there's this idea that if we pray the right way or if we balance the karma scales, if we believe the secret, if we pray Jabez's prayer enough times, that the universe has to respond, that God has to respond to the things that we pray or do. And and I think that is indistinguishable from this idea of magic. So magic is about control. It's about us controlling things. And so the question is, when we have faith, what is it we have faith in? Do we have faith that there are some laws of the universe that if we say the right thing at the right time, that the universe has to obey us? Or do we have faith in the goodness of a God who rules the universe? Magic is all about control. So what if many of our current views of faith are simply magic with Christian packaging? Think about the mark of the beast. If there's some kind of tattoo that you could accidentally get, it would doom you to hell. Isn't that an idea that this tattoo is more powerful than God's grace, God's goodness? Isn't God more powerful than any tattoo? He can't make you worship himself, or he won't make you worship himself. Uh, that's a different story, but a tattoo? God couldn't overpower that. So what if a lot of our ideas of faith are simply magic? And so let me, let me say this. Faith or a magic formula says if we have enough faith and we have the correct words, we are guaranteed results. Has anybody ever believed this? Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever experienced this? Yeah, me too. (laughs) This is a bad place to be in, isn't it? Because what happens? We end up in this self-defeating cycle, right? Whenever we believe in this, whenever we have this. So let's let's do a few tests. First, I'll do a test on myself because obviously I have a lot of faith, right? (laughs) So as I was growing up, I, I started to notice that my vision was going bad. And now I have laser surgery, so (laughs) ta-da. But as I was growing up, my vision was terrible and glasses were for nerds, right? So so I'm just kidding. I used to have glasses. Don't be offended. (laughs) So I I remember thinking, I can't get glasses. I don't want glasses. Those are the worst. And so I would put them on when I had to read something in class and take them off before the girls saw. And I remember praying. I prayed every day. I prayed in the morning. I prayed at night. I prayed at lunchtime. I said, God, fix my eyes. I hate glasses. These are the worst. And what did God do? <laughs> Nothing. 
I went to Mark and I said, it says if I say to a mountain, throw you, I'm not asking for a mountain here. I'm asking for my eyes to be fixed. God, just fix my eyes. That's all I want from you. And God said, no. <laughs> and, and I remember being so mad. I was so disappointed. And so there was this kind of dilemma for me, right? Of, well, is the Bible lying? Or do I just not have enough faith? Do I just have to get enough faith and God will heal me? Let's put that to a test, all right? Let's, let's think about some of the people that we see in Scripture. So this guy Abraham, he's the father of faith, right? So he clearly had enough faith. And so when he prayed for God to give him a son, God did that right away, right? No, it, it seemed to took a while. But I mean, Abraham's probably a bad example because Abraham, you know, he did the thing and he tried to have the other kid. And I mean, that's probably the worst. So how about David? David was, I mean, David was a man after God's own heart, right? And so David, whenever he uh, cheated on his wives... And he had the guy killed, who was his mistress's husband. After that, she was pregnant, and, and the baby was very ill, right? And David prayed and fasted. Surely he had great faith, and surely God answered him in the affirmative, right? The baby died, and David mourned. But maybe those guys are bad examples. They didn't have as good of a faith as, like, Paul, right? Paul, Paul is the, the, I mean, he's the epitome of faith. Paul three times asked God to remove this thorn in his flesh, and God said, no. But Jesus had perfect faith, right? <laughs> and Jesus in the garden said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And so surely God would do exactly what Jesus prayed, right? God said no to even Jesus. God would not let the cup pass from him. And so we have all these examples. And, and so what we want is we want God to do what we want, right? But God is independent of us. Is it our lack of faith? Is Jesus a liar? So, back to the Mark passage. What is it he's talking about there? First of all, do we have any record of anyone saying to a mountain, throw yourself into the sea at all? <laughs> did Jesus actually do that? He never did it. The disciples, did they ever say, mountain, go throw yourself in the sea? No, none of them did it. And so, But do we have records of Jesus speaking in figures of speech? Do we have him using hyperbole do we have him using parables to teach oh yeah we do don't we and so perhaps what jesus is saying is if you have faith the impossible will be possible if you have faith the impossible so for an example when paul says i can do all things through christ who strengthens me what is he talking about he's not talking about winning a football game or running a marathon he's talking about finding contentment in the worst of circumstances so is that like throwing a mountain into the sea? I would argue it is. So faith is about finding contentment, is about believing in the God who can control all things. So what is biblical faith? What is the idea in the Bible about faith? I figured out how to get Greek onto my slides. So <laughs> I'm very happy with that. Uh, so the word... The words that, sh that are translated faith, this is pistuo, it means believe or believe in. This is the verbal form, and in fact, the verbal form is used 100 times by John alone, the Gospel of John. Paul uses this about 50 times. And then we also have a noun, uh, hey, pistis, or pisteos, this means trust or faith. And this is used by Paul 142 times and 100 times in the rest of the New Testament. So to say this is an important concept is an understatement. This is an incredibly important concept in the Bible. And so this is why we're going to be taking four weeks to talk about this idea of faith. So that is, that is the word faith, and it means believe or trust or have faith in. And so the question, I think, is, okay, but, but what does that mean? 
what does that even mean? And, and we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about it. Today, mostly we were saying, what is faith not? And faith is not magic. Faith is not a way we can control the universe. Faith is definitely not magic. So biblical faith, trust God with the results. If you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is interesting because we don't know who wrote Hebrews. The traditional answer was Paul, but it is almost certainly not Paul. Uh, based on linguistic studies and things that are more complicated than I know. So some people would say Apollos, perhaps, and that this started as a sermon. Others say Priscilla, which might uh, give some people uh, a little bit of a difficulty. So there, there are a lot of different opinions on who wrote Hebrews. Uh, I'm not going to share who I think wrote it, but, but it probably wasn't Paul. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Then the author goes through a long list of people that had faith in the Old Testament and talks about what their faith looked like and finally comes back to verse 39 and says this, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. So the author of Hebrews is making the point here, you don't have to see results to have faith. Faith is not necessarily about results. Biblical faith trusts God with the results. It doesn't trust ourselves. So this is God's universe, and we are living in it, right? And so Hebrews is saying these people all were committed for their faith, not because they got results, but because they trusted in the goodness of God. So we already talked about what we do with the mountains. The mountains are not our job. <laughs> Biblical faith is indistinguishable from the idea of faithfulness. Turn just one, one, one book over to James. This is one of the, the translation things. A lot of times they, they have a difficulty of translating. Do they translate faith or do they translate faithfulness? And so to me, these two are so interrelated that they cannot be pulled apart. If we have faith, we will be faithful. That doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean we are faithful. Faithfulness means this, starting in James chapter 2, 14 through 19. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. And so the, James, the brother of Jesus, is underscoring the idea, simple belief alone is not faith. The demons believe in God, they know who God is. Faith means faithfulness to God and to his reality. Demons do not have the faithfulness to God, therefore they are not part of God's kingdom. So faith and faithfulness are nearly indistinguishable. So how about Magic versus faith. How about a few statements that might help bring this into light and to, to clarification? Magic says, we never need to want or to lack. So all these different types of magic, this karma, this secret, everything, it's, it's all about not wanting or lacking. But faith says, like Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content, even the worst of circumstances. Magic says, pain is always bad and we can get rid of it. We've all been there, right? Faith says God is with me in the pain and can use it for the good of myself and for the universe, for all the people around me. Magic says God is safe and predictable and controllable. We've all been there, haven't we? 
But faith says, Jesus is the Lion of Judah. And I love the line that C.S. Lewis uses over and over about the Lion. He is not safe, but he is good. And this is what we want a lot of times, right? We want this safe, predictable, controllable God. And, and I hate to break it to all of us, but that is not the God that we're here to worship. That is not the God we're here to serve. And so a lot of times we embrace this idea of magic because it helps us to feel like we're in control. You're going to get out of here and you're going to get in like a two or 3,000 pound beast of steel and iron and it's going to take you wherever you want to go. You're going to be able to turn on electricity at the drop of a hat. Everything in our lives is centered around control. But God is not something we can control. God is someone we can believe in and someone we can be faithful to. So what does this look like for us? It looks like shifting the control of our universe. Instead of of thinking of ourselves as the movers and drivers and the shapers of our whole world, we recognize that God is that, and God is good, and we don't have to do that anymore. No longer do we have to feel guilt if our eyes don't get fixed right away, right? Now we can rest in the goodness that God will save us. No longer do we have to worry about some little tattoo that might disqualify us from the kingdom of God because that is magic, and we don't have to be afraid of magic. No longer do we have to worry about all these different things. And so I want to encourage you to trust in the God who is good. Don't worry about this universe. God is in control of that. That's not our job. Our job is to be faithful. And we're going to talk the rest of the series about what faith is. Today, the whole goal was to talk about what faith isn't. I don't want you to feel like you can go and control everything in your world because you can't. So so let's pray together. And then I think we've got one more song. Lord Jesus, we... We love you and we are so grateful that we don't have to carry the weight of this whole universe. Lord, you're good and you, you love us and so we can rest in that. We can rest in the fact that even though there may be some things we don't like or appreciate, that you have a plan and that you have us in your hand. Lord, we love you. In your name I pray. Amen.